Hello, my fans, friends. Welcome to the Rich Terring podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. Thanks to everyone who's come to see the Can I Have My Ball Back tour so far. It's been going really well. I've got a four-star review in The Standard, four-star review in The Telegraph, who once called me the worst comedy experience of the year, so that's a turnaround. Uh, people have been coming, people have really been enjoying it, and it's getting better and better. The only gigs this week are both in Pocklington, the town I was born in, near York. Uh, there's a couple of tickets left for the evening show and a few more tickets left for the matinee, I think about 4.30. But love to see you there, Yorkshire. Pop along, check richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs to see if I'm coming near to you. There are tickets left for nearly every show in the tour. I think Norwich has sold out. Uh, and a couple of gigs in London could do with your support as well. Anyway, please listen to the podcast. Do spread the news about the podcast to your friends. Listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. <laughs> now sit back, relax, and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the ballroom at the Assembly Rooms. Please welcome a man who's on holiday in one hour's time. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello. It's lovely to be here. Thank you very much for coming along. Uh, welcome to uh, Richard Herring's last Scotch Transmission podcast. Uh, for now, could be forever, couldn't it? Who knows? Could be the last one ever. Could be. Could be my last ever appearance at the Edinburgh Fringe. I nearly died last year. I could die. I could die. Also, you know, it's a ball lake being here, isn't it? Uh, literally. Um, so... Although I was talking to the fantastic crew here at the ballroom assembly rooms, uh, especially Reese, Jabs, Ruby, Joe, Tazzy, and Aoife, uh, who sound like they're members of Blazing Squad. They could be. They could be the members of Blazing Squad. Uh, they call it Rahalastapa. Uh, and let's give them all a fantastic round of applause for their fantastic work over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I have got them a present, but it hasn't turned up yet. It's. Uh, it's a mug saying I was on the crew of Rallastapa. Only I did that one. Uh, good. So uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's lovely to be. Well, finally, something's happened at the Edinburgh Fringe uh, that uh, Jerry Sadovich has uh, had his 
performance cancelled because he's too offensive. He was too offensive. It surprised me. Uh, and he maybe got his cock out. I don't, we don't know the full details, but if you're going to cancel shows because someone's got their genitals out, there's going to be a lot of Edinburgh Fringe shows there. <laughs> that aren't happening. And if we're going to start cancelling shows just because people find them offensive, can we start with the Faulty Towers dining experience, please? That, was, that, that's, that should be the first one to go. And we may talk about that. With, I mean, I've, I've, uh, Jerry Sadovitz was actually one of the first uh, acts I ever saw at the Edinburgh Fringe. And I think it's easy these days to, like, to take something out of context and go, that's very offensive, which you could do with every single thing that Jerry Sadovitz says. Uh, but it's... There's, there, I mean, it's... Yeah, there, we probably don't have time to go <laughs> But it's sort of... He's the victim of it. Right? I, saw, I saw a uh, Guardian journalist had written about t- Terry Gilliam doing rubbish stuff about black lesbians and, you know, I identify as a chair and yeah that's shit and he's a he's a massively wealthy man jerry sadovitz is sort of the victim of all his own jokes and to to be he busts all taboos so if he didn't do the racial ones wouldn't that be racist for him i don't know i I don't know it's interesting it's an interesting thing but i'm I'm very I'm, i'm sad because i mean he's he lives that act i mean he's ruined his entire life doing that act it's, it's a very deep and clever and upsetting and unsettling and don't go and see it if you are at all easily offended and you can't because it's been cancelled and that's the thing. I don't know, I just sort of think the fringe, it shouldn't be about saying you're not allowed to do... They, they knew what they were getting into as well. So they're saying, the Pleasance is saying, we're all for freedom of speech and we support freedom of speech but he's not, that doesn't go with our views so he's not allowed, which that doesn't seem... Right. Not very funny, was it? But there we go. We'll, we'll talk to... We'll, t- <laughs> we'll talk to... Uh, you know, but, but everyone finds different things offensive. I find someone copying all of John Cleese's work and not paying him for it offensive, even though he's John Cleese. So, you know, that's... So that's... Anyway, let's crack on. My guest, a fantastic final guest, a massive movie star. He's probably best known for playing Guru Such a Big Nubber. <laughs> In the Love Guru, which I believe there is a story behind, as well as being the uh, the brownest person to appear in Notting Hill, the film Notting Hill. Will you, will you please welcome the amazing Ahmed Jalili, ladies and gentlemen? Here we come. Come on in, sit down. Ahmed Jalili. <laughs> He's a man who knows how to play a crowd. I can tell you that. Shameless, uh, shameless man. Uh, I saw your show last night, and my oh, favourite thing about your show is at the beginning, you get the audience to give you a standing ovation at yes. the start. Absolute genius. I just, you know, I don't get standing ovations anymore. <laughs> so why not do it? At the... I was trying to parody those mediocre Netflix comedians who get, yeah. who get a standing ovation. Yeah. But what I didn't say, what I didn't flag up was the, the crap joke you opened with. So when I opened with a crap joke, I didn't say this is a crap joke. It just was a crap joke. And I just thought, <laughs> that's really not very funny. So it was a, it was a shame. <laughs> Good. Is that Mike or is that Mike at working recently? Am I, okay. Shall be a bit close, maybe close to, close yeah, to your mouth. That's fine. Tell us about. There is a story. I, I, I chose this credit, and then there is a story behind uh, you being in the Love Guru and not yes. not really being in the Love Guru. Is that right? I got cut out of the movie. Um, <laughs> apparently, for being too funny. Um, it was. It's not a very good film, so I'm quite no. pleased they've, they've cut me out. But uh, I played Guru Satch, a big knobber. Yeah, um, which required me to put two cucumbers into a nappy I was wearing 
And all I had to do was to urinate into a pot, shake, and then pretend I'm celebrating something. So I did a Faustino Aspria, uh, kind of this kind of fist pump, <laughs> where the cucumbers went up as my hand went across. And it got such a big laugh. And then Sir Ben Kingsley came along. And then he just did everything I did. And I, and I said, what's he doing? Because he goes, he's totally stealing your shit. He's totally stealing your shit. I said, so you might as well just let him do it. Because yeah, we're going to let him do it. <laughs> so you'll probably cut me out of the movie because we're going to cut you out of the movie. <laughs> so, so yeah, but it, it worked out well because I don't, I don't, I don't anyone seen Love Gurus? It's not a brilliant film. So it's a go. great film, says the second row, man in the second row. Is it really? No. No, there you go. Thank yeah. you. A John Validation from Brett John Reed. Oliver's in it as well. I believe it was the credit I chose for John Oliver when he was on as well. Exactly. So there, <laughs> there you go. I might be wrong. He was in one of those. One of uh, my, he my was films. actually. Yeah, I, he was, I met yeah. him then. Yeah. I did, yeah. Um, and uh, Notting, Notting Hill, I don't know if we talk, ever talked about you being in Notting, Notting Hill. Notting Hill, also another film I was cut out of. Yeah. Um, it was uh, For Being Too Brown. Um, yeah. you, you know, um, Notting Hill was a film where they tried to show the, the diversity of the Notting Hill area. Then the American producer said, we want this to be more white. So they got rid of everyone. I had some lines that were taken out. So oh, really? it looks like I'm an extra. I just give Hugh Grant the orange juice that then he spills over Julia Roberts. The only ethnic minority who stayed in the movie was Sanjeev Bhaskar. Right. So he had a couple of lines. But yeah, yeah they whitewashed the film, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. I'm not bitter about it. I'm just saying that's just fat. <laughs> You're all looking at me like really like shocked. But it's true. They did. They thought it, it was, wasn't white enough. Yeah. Maybe we should cancel Notting Hill. Yes. Maybe we should. And while we're at it, pretty much all of the other ones as well. The, uh, the Christmas one should definitely be cancelled. <laughs> Love Actually, that's what it is. Called. Love Actually, yeah. yes. Oh, cancel the lot. White it's racist a pro- it's motherfuckers. A <laughs> Well, and he did one about, uh, and I love Richard Curtis, but he did one about the DJs on the boats all having sex with underage girls and and attempting to rape people. That one, you don't see that one so much. (laughs) For some reason, that one's slightly mistimed. Um, Look, your show is lovely to see you do stand up. I came and saw you last night. Uh, Good times, and you're on tour with this all through the autumn as well. I noticed you go from um, Swansea. Uh, and then you play Melbourne, Sydney, Auckland, Brisbane, Perth, and then you're back at Hearn Bay. Yes. <laughs> I have, people don't know, you'll know, uh, he knows my manager. I have a manager called Nigel Klarfeld, who is partially sighted in the sense that he can only see you if you're like a foot away from the face. And so he'll often say, Omid, you've got to get to this party. I'm with Idris Elba. And I said, Idris Elba from Luther? He goes, yeah. I said, what's he like? He'll text back and say, sorry, it was Moira Stewart. <laughs> And, and when I get there, it's Diane Abbott. That's, so he, he has no clue. So he, uh, he, he blames the tour going everyone on COVID, but actually he doesn't really see. So literally one night I'm in Swansea, then I'm um, up north in Aberdeen, then back in Exeter. I'm, I've actually racked up 38,000 miles, and we're right. driving ourselves as well. So, yeah. yeah it's not to Australia. Bad. You're not driving to Australia. No, not to Australia, so. but that's just the way. Australia was booked before, and so I'm just fulfilling a contractual obligation that was yeah. booked in March. March, just when we went into lockdown, right. actually. So I've got yeah. to go back and fulfil that. Yeah, so were you doing this tour before... Was the tour... You started the tour when lockdown it came? It was or? just about to start, and, we, and it's been put back and put back and put back. So, yeah. uh, But it's great. You go out and you see audiences, and they're very... Uh, they're, at the beginning, people really... You, you know, because we were told to stay home and watch Netflix, people's concept of comedy material, the expectation has gone up because yeah. the quality of material. So when you go out... <laughs> I did one warm-up gag, and I thought it'd be fun to do COVID variant gags, which I thought was very, very relevant. I said, COVID variants? Got the Delta variant? 
you know, we've got... You know, I had the banker's variant. It's pretty bad, but it cleared after three working days. <laughs> and, uh, and people saying, this is shit! And I, and I carried on, and I said, then I got the Alan Titchmarsh variant, which is like, once you've had it, you're suddenly very attractive to women of a certain age. And nobody got it because in Albania, no-one had heard of Alan Titchmarsh. <laughs> but I carried on, then I said, I had the Sean Bean variant. And people saying, this is shit. I said, no, wait for the Sean Bean variant. You know, it means any role I played, French, Turkish, Arab, or English, even if I played an alien genetically spliced with the B, I still talk in a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> and I heard this silence and someone at the back went, that's funny. Like that, that was it. So that, that was like, I kept that in. Well, it's, it's a terrifically fun show. And I, I guess we, it, it does, I mean, it, it's, it's not in any way similar to Jerry Sadovitz, except that you, uh, you dance around a little bit with, you, there's still some, because, you know, your, your routines always have, have uh, acknowledged your ethnicity. And yes. from a starting point where it was, you know, maybe you, you, you were sort of forced to by the mores of the time to sort of ingratiate yourself and yes. get the jokes in first, right? The joke, even though you're, you're not a Muslim, you would do jokes. Um, yeah, you do jokes about the Middle East and, and whatever. Yeah, I think that at the end of the day, what, what, what I was trying to do, I reflect on the show of my, you know, 30 years of coming to the festival and yeah. how that's developed and how... I had to ingratiate myself with white liberal kind of society. So even the first show was called I'm a Short Fat Kebab Shop Owner's Son yeah. because inside me there was a tall, thin, high-cheekboned English ponce <laughs> screaming to get out. And I think that was, that was my own kind of conflict and I was trying to work through it through comedy. But, um, but now I think people just want to laugh and what I've tried to do is try and try and explain white privilege in the same way after Black Lives Matter, a lot of black people are saying, look, we love white people. We're trying to explain how we're affected by this. You know, the song that won the Grammy, uh, that amazing by the group Her, that they said, when, you, when we say see us, see us. You know, don't just try and say I've got a black friend which kind of makes you look good in front of your white friends. See the oppression. So in a sense, what I've tried to do is try and see tell white people what I've gone through because yeah. actually when I worked with Whoopi Goldberg many years ago, she said to me, promise me you'll never stop doing stand-up because for, for your people, yeah. you're like the Richard Pryor of brown people. I said, I said, don't connect me with him. She goes, no, you are, you're the first, so you've got to keep going and then you'll, you'll inspire a whole bunch of, which is what's happened. There's a whole bunch of Indians and yeah. Iranians and there's, I think there are about five Iranian comedians now. And she said, you just got to keep going. And that's why... It seems inappropriate. We were talking about we're both in our <laughs> mid-50s still at the festival. We shouldn't really be here. But it kind of feels important. I will say this. I know it's, a bit, it's, it's serious, but I've, uh, two friends of mine who are about the same age, they lost their son this year, their 22-year-old son, beautiful son, tragically lost his life. And that happened in May. And they decided to come to the festival specifically to find their funny bone again, to yeah. see if they're going to... And I took them to see Stuart Lee. I took them. I said, come and see Mark Thomas. They came and see, they saw my show. And they really thanked me. They left yesterday. They goes, it's the first time we've been able to laugh. And just when I was thinking, you know, I'm going to stop doing the festival because my, my humanity is caught up with my narcissism, you know. <laughs> I, I can't keep pushing myself on social media. There, there's a point where you think, I just can't be a narcissist. But actually now I see the power of comedy and how just these two people who've lost their son have now feeling that we, we, we have to move on. We remember him, he's with us, but actually to lose your sense of humor is that is when the slide happens. That's when you become old. 
That's when you become, and they're in their mid fifties, yeah. but they've still got their mojo. And because they were laughing their heads, and they never, I'd never seen them laugh so much. It was wonderful. So I see the power of it now. It is, and I think you know, you, it's, you're not an act where you're, you know, chastising people or bashing people over. The, I mean, if you are, it's in a, in, a, in a funny way. But you're you're not bashing people over the head. But it, but that audience you're talking to will, you know, that, that information is it's very sort of subtly subversive. I think, and and, yeah. and you and you're also making the points. Uh, but also, you you know, you dance around it. You're, you're able to do a few of the old jokes that you wouldn't do anymore by saying, yeah. "I wouldn't do this joke anymore." <laughs> and you're able to to do a joke and and, and accuse your audience of being racist for <laughs> for laughing at it. So. It's, it's it's very playful. But I think, look, at the end of the day, when, we, when you look at someone like Jerry Sadowitz, it's it, this is a tough one for us as comedians because obviously, as comedians, we believe in free speech. The whole point of the fringe is that we come here and you can see someone shoot a firework out of his asshole. And you'll pay money for that because that's the fringe, you know. And actually, when you look at some, there's a slight similarity between Stuart Lee, who you know very well, and Jerry Sadowitz in the sense that they're both kind of playing characters on yeah. stage. And Jerry Sadowitz is very, very open about, come and see my show. There's some amazing, amazing magic. And then you'll also see a screaming fascist. That, that's kind of, because that, even, I remember on 9-11, his first joke was, uh, he goes, uh, the Twin Towers came down there, he goes, what, what should have happened, it was a domino effect that every, every single skyscraper went doomed all the way to fucking L.A., you bastards. <laughs> I thought, that's a bit harsh. He goes, I'm, I'm a screaming fascist. That's the whole point. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of what you get with Jerry. So I have to tell you last night, and, and I'd, I'd said on Twitter, never check Twitter before you go to bed, because <laughs> last week I checked it at 1.50 and I saw Olivia Newton-John passed away and I was really upset, so I said, never check Twitter. So I just thought someone said, have you seen what's happened with Jerry? And I checked Twitter and it said that he's been, his show has been cancelled because he got his cock out, he called Rishi Sunak the P-word, and he blamed all economic problems on this government because it's run by, with, by blacks and women. And I just I giggled myself to sleep. I said, that's Jerry... That's Jerry being Arch. That's Jerry, that's Jerry the character. That's Jerry the Sadowitz yeah. the character. Because if he didn't do that character, that's what we, we pay to see. And by the way, he is the number one sleight of hand magician I've ever seen. So I, I, would, I know he's going to be rammed. He's going to tour and he'll say, I actually made my second show disappear in front of my fucking eyes. You know? <laughs> so he's, he'll, he'll take responsibility for it. But, but why we all disagree with what the Pleasants have done to him is because they know what they're getting with him. They know exactly, exactly what they're really. getting. So... I'm hoping it's a, it's, I'm hoping on behalf of the fringe because a lot of people are struggling with numbers. I'm hoping it's a publicity stunt because I put on Radio 4 and Jerry Sadowitz was the second story after um, Salman Rushdie. So I think it's worked. Well, if it is that, I don't know. It, it does, that does seem weird. And I think, you know, he's, he's holding up a mirror by being the worst thing possible. But, mm. he, but he's so, the character, and possibly the man, you know, it's very hard to know, is so angry at the world. Yeah. And, at, and his own, he's like, he's at the bottom of the pit and he's shooting out at everything else. And yet all of, the, all of his own barbs eventually come back onto him. He's anyway. very damaged, but that's why we're here. We, we, we need the laughter of strangers to, to heal the wounds of our childhood, you know? <laughs> My wound's the size of Alaska, and I need you. That's why I recognise him, and because he's a very wounded person. Yes. Which is why, for com- he's kind of like a comedian's comedian. He, he makes is, us yeah. laugh. Yeah. He is, yeah. So you know, it's 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 interesting stuff, and it's great that we can talk about it. And yeah. but you know, equally, it's sort of it, it's not like the Salman Rushdie thing. But it, but you 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 sort of can't go. Oh, Salman Rushdie must be free to write any book about anything he wants, even yeah. if it offends people, and then say comedians can't do that because they're joking. You know, it's 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 the it's the same. Ballpark 
Anyway, in terms it is. It's of very strange. freedom of expression. One of my first jokes, actually, when I, first, when I was at the festival was about Salman Rushdie. Because, you know, the fatwa was 33 years ago, in 1989. Uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, an Iranian kind of cleric, gave this uh, ridiculous fatwa. And, and part of me thinks, wow, it's taken so long, because I've not heard of him being attacked at all. But because by 1995 there had been no attack, my first joke, well, I think I used to come out as an I, I said, the fatwa on Salman Rushdie has now been lifted. But on behalf of all Iranian dyslexics, we'd like to apologize for the death of Willie Rushton. <laughs> <laughs> Willie Rushton was an accident waiting to happen, ya Allah. You know, and it, I could make a joke about it because I didn't think anything would happen to him. But yeah. now that something's happened, and it's not looking good for him as well. I mean, he's in, he's in the hospital. And yeah, it's he, very shocking. He's, he's, he's apparently talking and off the life support, so oh, hopefully everything good? will be all right. Thank God. I mean, no, the comedian in me start, is thinking, you know, they, they're all talking about the, the money that you get for the fact, well, do you get anything if you fail to, to kill... <laughs> And, you know, and who's resp- he's got to, you imagine there's a little committee there going, well, sorry, no, you, you had to be dead. You can't have any of the money. But I... I, I I'm the terrorist is saying, I'm the evil Knievel. <laughs> I, get, I get paid for the attempt. <laughs> That's a Dave Chappelle joke. <laughs> but, you know, there's, it, there's comedy in everything, right? Um, we'll find it eventually. So, look, I mean, I, I first really probably met you, and we, and we were talking about this backstage oh, in, in, Ad- in Adelaide. Tell them, tell uh, them. Um, and uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was something I tried to write a sitcom about because it, it was a really unusual mixture of comedians. It was Stu and me, and it's then... Adelaide, Adelaide Comedy Festival, Adelaide, 1997. Adelaide Com- and it wasn't even the, it was, it wasn't the real one. It had been set up by some rich guy, and it wasn't very well organised, but it was an incredible fun. We were all put in the same motel with a, with a jacuzzi in it that we all sat in. And it, but it was, it was sort of a lot of quite insane comics. There's about 16 of us, I think. Yeah. 16, so we all flew over. And they plied everyone with drinks. So yeah. as soon as we arrived in Australia, we were staying in a little motel, and I remember Parrot, there was a Scottish comic called Parrot who just jumped from the first floor. He jumped straight into the swimming pool. And there was a guy called Michael Smiley there. And there's a, there's a wonderful picture. I think it's online. I'm not sure if you can find it. It's probably been pixeled out. Where there's, there's, the, there's a jacuzzi with Stuart Lee and Richard Herring. You can't see me. I'm, we're all like... I, I kind of lean towards Stuart and Rich because they, they, they seem the most normal people. <laughs> and literally the Smiley, who's a bald guy, looking at the camera, and Parrot has placed his bare testicles and penis <laughs> over his head and just with, with Stuart and, uh, and Rich kind of looking disgusted. <laughs> I remember thinking, I've got to stick around with these guys. <laughs> They're the nice ones. But, but that was day one, and yeah. that was like the craziest festival it, of all it was, time. It was. And we all, in the end, got on incredibly well, and, we, and David Jones was there, and David Jones was there, and he hired a clown. We went to Kangaroo Island. Did you come on that trip? I didn't come on that. I heard uh, about it. And it was, you know, it was sort of insane, so I didn't think it would be a great... But, you know, equally, that, that kind of humour's never really appealed to me, the kind of cock-on-the-shoulder no. sort of thing. Uh, which always say, always seems cock you know, on the sh- <laughs> cock on cock on the bald head. It's but, you know, so it's, stupid. Yeah. It was so childish. And also, there was a, uh, you probably. I was just telling. I was talking to Rich backstage. Do you remember there was an Australian act called Rash who had this Mohican, and he was always coming in and he was screaming at people and heckling during their shows. He was always drunk, and you never remember what happened the next day. So if let's play a joke on Rash. Like let's say he's offended us so much, like. Ivor, he's been divorced and he had to go at his ex-wife, so he came to that. I'm really sorry, Ivor, I don't mean to say that. 
And with me, it was like that he tried to have anal sex with me. So <laughs> I was walking like in a different... I never thought you'd follow through with it, Rash. I feel, I feel so awful. And he had no memory. He goes, I'm so sorry, mate. I, I, I mean, you're an attractive guy, but I would, I'd never do that if I was like sober. I'm so sorry. It was a brilliant, it was a brilliant festival. It was crazy. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Uh, but you know we, everyone was pretty near the best start I mean Michael Smiley's gone to be a very successful actor, actor yeah. and uh, as have you so you, you know we wouldn't and you, you were very quickly sort of being cast in in these big movies so, so yeah. what, how, how did the, how did that happen how did you how did you start getting the the Hollywood films well it's interesting you say that because in um, because you're a stand up we've, we've got a bit more thick skin and there's a bit more kind of we don't really care much so I remember my agent said there's a film called The Mummy and we're going to fax. You've got to go to Soho now. Go to this shop, pick up the fax. Three pages are going to come through. Learn your lines and go and do the audition. I went there and I saw there was one line on one page, another line, another line. So I went there and I had these three lines. And I went there and they had a, there was this guy called Stephen Summers who goes, okay, let's, and there we are. So-and-so's going to read. Everyone read the part and I read my, yalla, no, uh, thank you. That's all I said. <laughs> and they said, okay, let's do that again. Uh, but this time, and I said, sorry, you're giving me notes. They went, yeah. I said, and I said oh, no, I've done these three non-lines as well as they can. <laughs> and they said, well, what do you suggest? I said, why don't we put the script away? Let me just do my, let me just talk to the camera. And I said, the fatwa on Salman Rushdie has been, <laughs> has been lifted. But, <laughs> so I just started doing my act. Yeah. And they started laughing. And they gave me the role. And um, I, I actually told them, I said, listen, you, I told them straight. I said, look. I, I know this Hollywood, this is 1998, the film came out in 99. 
I know that you don't know how to write for Middle Eastern characters. What you've written is really offensive. I can't really say what you've written, but I know what you're going for. So will you let me improvise? So I remember living in Hounslow and the director saying, you just improvise nine times out of 10. I'll say, don't do it, but don't be like an actor feeling offended. Just, just, just don't do it and then try something else. And we'll take the credit anyway. So majority of that film is me messing around and then they've kept bits in it. So right. sometimes even when the camera wasn't, there's a couple of shots where they're shooting from far away and they've kept in that film, which I didn't even know they were filming. Right. So it's in the movie, yeah. And did, did you, you know, obviously you were getting cast, I think we, we talked about this years ago when we talked, but it's the, it's, uh, it's like the Nadim Sawala effect. Is yes. that you can play any character from basically Mexico to... <laughs> to India, yes. There's a whole swathe of people you can play, and it's, was there? You know, you were obviously in the early days. There were there were quite stereotypical. All of them were. Was, yeah. yeah. Was there? Did you feel like it was important to do it anyway, or did you just think I'm I'm getting work, or were you trying to affect change as you were? As Actually, you were do you know this is very interesting because I, I ended up doing a, a sitcom with with Whoopi Goldberg, yeah. and then they said the same thing. Um, just just play around with it, but they hadn't told the other actors. So when we're <laughs> rehearsing the guy playing Whoopi's brother just said would you just say the fucking lines and I said sorry and they and I said I'm just playing because no just say that you're an actor just say the goddamn lines and then he got fired the next day they right. fired him they fired him because I was the NB, the guy NBC had brought in for this role and Whoopi Goldberg when we did the series um every time we, we, we'd rehearse and then we they go back to writing stereotypical lines and she actually said because Ayatollah jokes, is that the best you've got? This guy's from Britain where he's won awards and you got to do better. He's, he's working his fucking ass off. To, 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 you just look what, look what he's doing and let's start, start writing proper things. So she actually had my back and was being very like, she knew because she goes, I know what it's like. I'm a black person in America. You're 30 years, brown people are 30 years behind us. So I see what they're doing to you, what they did with black people. Yeah. So it needed people like that. It needed another race of people in show business to kind of protect me, and I've always been thankful to them. Yeah, and it has, you know, over those decades, things have certainly... I mean, it's not over. It's not perfect, but yeah. <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's, got, it's got a lot noticeably better. A little bit better, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think it's up, to, it's up to us as well to stand up and be known and, and not shy away. That's why in my show... Actually, in my show at the very end, I do a routine that I did here at the Edinburgh Festival that got me cancelled. Now, that routine, my wife says, the reason you got cancelled is because it looked like slapping the ball. It looked like unprovoked violence towards a white person. Yeah. Whereas, actually, it was just a funny story that happened to me, me, my dad and my uncle. But it was interesting, that story that got me... When I say cancelled, it's like nobody, no agent wanted me because we saw you at the press launch and, frankly, you should be ashamed of yourself. So... It was important for me to do that routine because I knew... Because funny is funny. And I felt it would be funny. But then when I did that, there was 300, 400 people just didn't laugh. So it's important for me to do that routine again. Yeah. Because I was talking to Eddie Izzard about this because we've both been doing comedy in different languages. And we're both... Because re- I've been doing stuff in the Persian language, yeah. which is very interesting to do because you realise that funny is funny anywhere. You don't have to adapt. I mean, Eddie actually translates his stuff directly into French, directly into German. And I didn't translate everything, but you realise funny is funny, and it doesn't matter where you are, when you are. Of course, context makes a big difference, mm-hmm. but that was the big thing, and I knew that story was funny. So to do it again 27 years later, after being cancelled, is a, it, it, it just felt so cathartic <laughs> uh, for me. It was a very good thing to do. That's why yeah, I finished well, the show on the, it. The, the, the guy who's being... 
slapped is a is a kind of national front. He's a national front, front yeah, yeah. So it's sort of weird. You, you would think even you think the with, that, with that, that context, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, they didn't think it was funny. Yeah. Um, Oh well, and and there's a there's, within the show as well. There's a there's a you, you pay tribute to to Sean Locke as well, yeah. which is a is a is a lovely moment. And yeah, I think Sh- Sean. Uh, are, are you all? Everyone knows Sean Locke. Sean Locke here. Round of applause for Sean Locke. <laughs> yeah, I just felt, I just felt because Sean was the first person to believe in me and take me on tour with him, um, and t- until Avalon found out. <laughs> because you're supposed to have an Avalon act open for you. So they said, this guy's been cancelled, but you can't have him. So I only did three, three gigs for him. And, um, and Sean was one of those people who was very, very, um, I would say, very spiritually awake. He was always asking me, because I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Baha'i, which is a, a, a faith that grew out of Islam in the same way Christianity grew out of Judaism. So there's a, there's a connection, but it's an independent faith. So it was him and Bill Bailey were the only two people who always asked me about, tell us more about the Baha'i faith. And he'd always ask me, how are you? And he'd always talk about spiritual matters. And, and Sean was also a Chelsea fan like me. And, and whenever he saw me, I'll never forget, I was, I was being attacked once verbally. Because do you remember there was a whole thing online about this guy, Count Dankula, because he'd done some Nazi yeah. hug dog thing. And I just refused to, I refused to support him because that particular case um he kept saying he kept telling the pug dog to say you know gas the jews which i didn't think was a necessary thing to, to say so because you don't believe in free speech so i was being attacked by these chelsea fans and he he got, he just came out of nowhere sean he went oh you lot fuck off leave him alone and he pushed him out of the way he goes what are you doing on me why are you talking why are you even engaging with this he goes, <laughs> he goes he goes i'd be on twitter all day long my wife won't let me he goes it's the whole brexit thing i'd be on i'd be on i'd be on twitter the whole day long because he hated Brexit, he hated everything. And actually, he was one of, those, he was one of the good guys, and we never really like, laughed and joked. We just talked seriously with him, which is why when he died, I just suggested Chelsea Football Club do a, a minute's applause for him in the 58th minute, when, yeah. which is his age when he died. And, and his family came, and, and it was really wonderful to see that he, um, he, he was such a private person as well. And, and I think that's what I liked about him. There was something about him. He wasn't just one of the funniest comedians. He was also the most hu- human and... Uh, relatable and personable people so I've, yeah. I've always loved him as a person that's great i didn't know him very well and i met him a couple of times and actually when i'd gone through the thing where uh, i'd uh, i'd been critical of uh, a couple of comedians for just using disability as a punchline without yeah. really thinking about it and just as with all these things i think you just need to think about why you're doing it and whether it's worth it and yeah. whether it's good whether it's a good enough joke but i had like three days where i would i got like just basically called a spastic by Ricky Ricky Gervais fans on Twitter. Uh, and I tried to answer as many, I tried to answer, answer as many as possible. And he just texted me and said, you know, well done. You know, he was watching and that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And he, bo- you know, he bothered to find my number and text me and, t- and say, well done for doing that. I thought that was right. good. Because I think he was a sort of, he was a decent guy. You know, he, he, Sean he, he, Barry, he, yeah, yeah, he was just a decent person and he didn't make a big play of it. It wasn't like, you know, and he, no. was just, he was interested in being funny on TV and that was what, what he was interested and in. And very doing. private, actually. Yeah. And it was, his, it was his family that told him don't go on Twitter because right. there was a Twitter account and he was all ready to send tweets about yeah. Brexit and everything. And they said, no, don't, because you're just going to get exactly pylons and all that. And, yeah. and he was aware of it. Yeah. But he doesn't realise, the, there's the odd time comedians have downtime. We sat in our beds, we've got our hands down our pants. <laughs> the other hand, we're just like <laughs> tweeting with our right hand because it passes the time. And you think you're... 
you're sharpening up your comedy brain doing it, but actually you realise you do upset a lot of people. <laughs> I upset a lot of people recently, and I didn't realise. It was other comedians like said, you really upset me as well. Right. And you realise it's, it's not a place for political discussion. It's, it's, there's no place for nuance. Even, I just sent a tweet saying, uh, Jerry Sadowitz, I, I giggled myself, and someone said, uh, it's not clear, do you agree with his cancellation or not? And yeah. I said, look, either you're... You have an ego problem and you're trying to get a reply or you're just a flat-out idiot, you know. And then he got upset with me as well. And, and, and you do that because you, 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 you've got a couple of... This is giving another 10 minutes of tweeting people. But it's never that serious, that's the thing. We, we never take it that seriously. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing and it's very... It's impossible. I've been trying to engage with people a little bit today and it's just you're not, you're not going to get anywhere in an argument this complex... Which, yeah. it, which it, it involves understanding 30 years of comedy as well to understand why some comedians will go, you know, with the, the, you know this is wrong. Have some people been, I think been some saying people, it's, it's good that know, he's been cancelled? I think it's always worth discussing. I think, you know, and it's always worth... And, and you know, I think there's all, it's not like you're completely consistent and go, well, I always think this, I always think this. I, th- I, I believe that someone said, what if Jim Davidson had said that and done this? I was like, it's a different... It's different because Jim Davidson hasn't done 30 years worth yeah, yeah. Of, of clever, you know, and, and it's, he's a high-status character and Jerry Sadovitz is a low-status character. But I wouldn't try and get Jim Davidson cancelled for doing it. I would just not... I, would, no. I think it's the same as anything. It's like it's your, your body, your choice. It's your, it's your brain. It's your choice what you laugh at. And, and I can say I don't think you should do that, but it's up to you to whether you... You want to find it? They tried to cancel... Piers Morgan tried to cancel me live on television. Really? I, I was on... I was on to talk about the vaccine for uh, trying to get more ethnic minorities to be tested because a lot of brown and black people don't really, you know, trust being tested on. So there was like, with the vaccine that they, we got now, it was mostly white people were, were, were tested. So I was on to talk about to try and encourage people of colour to come on. But there was some hoo-ha about Little Britain blacking up or something. Yeah. Something that we know in comedy... You know, Matt Lucas and Dave, David Williams have dealt with it. They've said, look, we wouldn't do that now. And, we, we, and then they said, do you think it's right? Do you think it appears more than Do you think it's right to black up? Do you honestly think that's... And I said, well, those guys have apologised for it. You don't do that now. There was a, over time. Because, but, but we've seen you in your TV show. You put on white makeup and you played a, 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 some middle-class woman. Do you think that's right? And he was really, like, angry and... And I just said, well, Piers, you know, uh, when people have a go at black people, maybe there's a victim thing you're punching down. But I'm, if me, I'm making fun of middle-class, multitasking mothers in Chiswick who are an empowered group. So, yes, it's absolutely fine for me to do this. And he just went like, he just looked at me, and then Susanna Reid just said, now about the vaccine. <laughs> and just quickly moved on. Because they're just, people are always frothing at their mouth. Because now they're looking for a, some kind of clip that goes viral, so they can put it out and then more people watch Good Morning Britain. That's but, the way it works. But people also want everything to just fit neat, neatly into what, you know, what people, people who want to sense the things, it's like, this is great. I know you're not allowed to say this word, so if someone says this word, then that's, the, that's it. They're, they're racist and they're cancelled. Whereas you can say that, you know, but there, you could, there are times you need to, you know, you can say the word. I did, I did a whole show called Hitler Moustache, which again, I wouldn't do exactly as I did it then. Brilliant but I, show, by the but way. But I used all, the, I used yes. those words in the show but to make some points about racism and it was an anti-racism show uh, and an anti-BNP show. So, you know, it, it, there's, there's, there's subtlety to it and there's, you know, you can't just say, you've said the P word, that's the end of it. Well, do you know what it is? It's, I have a 22-year-old son who said something really interesting to me. He goes, all this stuff that you see now he goes, I think, it's not just a millennial thing. I think because of all the crap that we've gone through, 
young people and people are just looking for sincerity, authenticity and being real because we can't tell people are being so sarcastic what what do you mean by that there's so much un- this things are just not clear for yeah. us so sometimes you, if if you and he said to me if you think Jerry Sadovitz should not have been cancelled you have to say it this is a disgrace he should not have been cancelled and the pleasants are, are going to pay for this later on down the line if you want that's because that's what my generation we want clarity we want we want you know sincerity you know we don't want jokes when things like this happen so that's the thing whereas we live in a world where you have to kind of, even when stuart lee says you have to know everything about everything to understand my joke a lot of people don't know they're not informed so we think we can do jokes about stuff people are not informed by but actually because what people are looking for now is sincerity and that's something that your generation meaning people in their mid 50s that's what you guys have missed i don't know does anyone agree with that is that what people want don't people can't be asked. All, they're all our age. gives a fuck <laughs> They don't know. They don't know anything. <laughs> a load of idiots. Mamma mia! Mamma mia! <laughs> Cancel a lot of them. Um, Mamma mia, here we go again. Yes! Uh, do you know, Tell me about that. It was, uh, uh, I always believe that if you don't like ABBA, and I think I'd love to hear, a, a, I'm going to make a statement, and by round of applause, clap if you agree. If you don't like ABBA, you don't have a pulse. <laughs> there you go. And I was very, uh, still, but what a, there's more round of applause than anything you and I have said. <laughs> Should have got Aberon. Should have got Aberon. But it was, um, I, I remember, I, I know Colin Firth because I did a, a, I did a benefit gig for his mother's school once. And he, and he, he emailed me because, look, they think you're bringing you on. Will you do it? Please come along because it's just, it's just a fun, it's a bit of a laugh. And um, it's interesting with, with Colin Firth, what, what, I, he, he'd, uh, 10 years earlier, because we, start, we were filming at 2007. In 2007, he sent me an email out of the blue saying, Dear Omid, I just thought you should know I had a dream about you and you were a lap dancer. <laughs> I just thought you should know. Love, Colin. <laughs> so I wrote back, How funny, Colin, I had the same dream and your check bounced. <laughs> and then he wrote back, Because the lap dance was wholly unsatisfactory. <laughs> So we go backwards and forwards. Then I met him on the film and we start talking. He's an Arsenal fan. I'm a Chelsea fan. We start talking and everything. And then we didn't even mention this thing. And then when I got back home, I got another email saying, he goes, dear Robert, I've had another dream about you. <laughs> At this time, you were wearing leathers. And it was all this kind of... But it was interesting that we never said anything. But, but he was absolutely right that it was just a fun... It was just a fun thing. And they, they, they very kindly gave me a post-credits. But I don't know if people know about that. At the end of that film... There's little post credits they did with me because you could just ask around on that, on that film. And they showed a little bit that I was doing just to make my wife laugh. Um, from, because she said, you don't sing in the film, you should sing. So I, I sang something and they kept it in. So, but it, it genuinely is. When I saw that film at the Hammersmith Apollo at the, at the premiere, there were 3,600 people going absolutely nuts because Cher was in the crowd. Tom Hanks was behind us going, woo, woo. <laughs> people were going I've never seen a crowd go so bananas. And when they played Dancing Queen, the whole 3,600 people singing and dancing to that. It was, yeah. it was really quite something. And, and, and it's, it's a, it seems to be universal. I've had really blokey people who you know what, I don't like that, those kind of films, but Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia 2, let's go around. That was fucking brilliant, that was. It really was. I loved, watched every, every minute of it. It was brilliant. So it seems to be universally loved, yes. Yeah, so I was very lucky. Yeah. Um, what about... Um... Sex and the City 2, did you spot any of the, the tensions between the... 
main yes. cast that were to come up? Yes, there were. There was a few tensions. Um, I mean, they're all good friends, but um, the tension really was around um, uh, Cynthia Nixon. Right. Because she had uh, just become a lesbian. And, right. and I think that it shocked everybody. And um, I, I, I was just very open. The four of us sat there, and I just asked. I said, I said I'm not very good. Like, I'm not very good at, you know, building up a relationship. I said, oh, since, I said, I said, why are you leather now? Like that, just straight, <laughs> just straight, yeah. And, and she just said, that's a really good question. I saw the others kind of leaning in. <laughs> and she said, um, it's because I, I'm married and I had, a, I had a kid and I wanted another kid. And my husband said, if we have a second child, you're going to have to look after the child. And he was right. We had the second child and he didn't do anything, you know. He didn't, so I, 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 you know... You know, I used to like cock, um, but I'm really into pussy right now. Because I may go back to cock one day, but I'm happy with pussy right now. And it was just like, and everyone just like listened and that was it. And I realized they'd never really talked about it before. Sorry to use, I'm probably going to get cancelled using those words now. But I'm just qu- quoting what she said. And, and I think that was a big shock that she'd come out as a lesbian. And then she was, uh, she's, she's a politician now as well. Right. But I think they're, they're very, very, one thing that shocked me was... Um, was um, the woman who plays Samantha. You know, she's a... Yeah. You can edit this. What's her name? What's her real name? Yeah, Kim Cattrall. Yeah, can you fix that? Because I, yeah. I know Kim Cattrall. Okay. I forgot her name. We'll just make uh, it so it goes yeah. seamlessly. Absolutely. We prom- I promise you we won't keep this thing. <laughs> what was amazing about Kim Cattrall, <laughs> my very good friend, was that she was so demure. And she was so, she plays this kind of sexual animal on the thing, but she's actually, when someone used it, she, afterwards she goes, she goes, Cynthia, I'm so sorry. She's saying cock and pussy. And I said, why? Because I, I don't like that kind of language. <laughs> and I was surprised that she's very demure. She goes, she goes, I'm very, he goes, I'm not a prude, but I don't like that kind of language. And I was really shocked that she's, which made me realize what a brilliant um, actor she is because she's, she plays so uh, opposite to the way she is. And, uh, and they're great. I mean, there was a bit of tension between, um, I think, the, 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 the director and them. them. Yeah. I made the director vomit, actually. It was amazing. I've never had that before. Where he, I don't know if you know Michael Patrick. Him. MPK is one of the great geniuses, but he's, he's, he's what you call one of those... He, he's uber flamboyant. I mean, he, he's, he's one of those gay guys who, like, tries to make himself... He's got eyebrows that go up like at 45 degrees, and everything is... He goes, Omid, you're wonderful. I'm so happy you're here. Everything you do is just so classy, and I just love your work. And then when I came on set, he goes, he goes right. We, we, he goes, Samantha's been caught having sex in Dubai. You're the hotel manager. I want you to come in. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. Stir your coffee. And then he put his finger up, like, stir your coffee, hold it, and then say your line. Now, I thought he meant do that. So when we, when we went to the scene, I, I, I stirred the coffee, and before I spoke, I went... I put my finger up, and then I say, he gets cut. He goes, what was the finger? What was the finger? Oh, my God. Talk about flagging up the comedy, like, comedy, where are you? Where are you? There it is. Yeah, that was fucking horrible. Yeah, I, can I get some water? Oh, Jesus Christ. Flagging up the... Yeah. And they took him away, and he vomited. He goes, I've never vomited before. Oh, my God. He thinks he's a comedian flagging up the comedy. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. This guy's a fucking asshole. Then, then I did the scene, and it finished. He goes, Omid, you're wonderful. <laughs> I just love everything you do. He's kind of schizophrenic, this guy. He's hysterical. That was the only tension. I just made him vomit. I feel so bad about it. 
Um, and you, well, you've uh, you've uh, ups- did you upset the queen? You you put your foot in it with the the queen? By- no, no, hang on. I mean, it's not really. It's- no, hang on, that's really unfair. Called it the wrong thing, didn't you? This is the pro- this is the way the press spin yeah. things. I, I I thought I'd I. I, I I played the Herald in the Queen's Platinum Jubilee thing, which is basically... I don't know if anyone watched it. It's, it's basically the Windsor Horse Show. And what they wanted to do is make it like a Platinum Jubilee special for the Queen. So they had comedy, they had drama in it. The, the, Helen Mirren played Queen Elizabeth I. It was a gallop through the history of the monarchy. So, but the people coming were expecting the Windsor Horse Show. So we're doing this to no laughs. And, <laughs> and they goes, oh, Mead, you're going to have to do a warm-up. So I'm in a Herald's costume. Like, literally, I'm the only one wearing ruffs and these stupid clothes. And I had to go on to 4,500 people. I'm doing warm-ups. I said, well, the owner of the Green Range Rover registration number L-I-Z-Z-Y-2, can you please move your car? You're parked on top of Tom Cruise. And then you hear, what the hell? Are you making fun of me? Then I realized I was standing on top of Tom Cruise. So there are all these jokes that got them laughing. And, and here's the thing. The, the Queen had just blown off the state opening of Parliament. She didn't go to the state opening of Parliament, but she came to the Windsor Halls show. So it was a very big moment. So in the end, I was saying goodbye to her, and I said, and thank you for choosing us over the state opening of Parliament. And it got a massive laugh, and she did that. She, she acknowledged the joke by doing that. And in the press the next day, there was an awkward moment, and they liked to kind of like make out it was a bad moment and all different newspapers like you know like to me when the queen does that it means very funny you worth every funny every penny fat boy you were brilliant but the daily telegraph thought the hand up like that was like off with his head you know <laughs> and they're making out like i'm a disgrace and the son thought that they, they said that meant look at the tits on him which i thought was really wrong and they made out what was a great moment they made it out like as if it was a real awkward moment yeah but here's the story. Do you want to hear the yeah, story? Which not... yeah. Okay, here's the story. This is what my, my wife told me not to tell this. We may cut this. <laughs> this is just for you guys. And I don't know if it's appropriate. This is a very, it's a true story. I mean, what I'm going to tell you is exactly word for word. Before we did the show with the Queen, we had four warm-up shows for the Royal Windsor Horse Show. And a different royal would come. And then there would be a little lineup with just me and Alan Titchmarsh together. And then we'd say hello. And the night before the Queen came, Princess Anne came. And so she's hugging Alan Titchmarsh. They all know Alan Titchmarsh and love him. And she looked at me. She goes, hello, Titchmarsh, how are you? You all right? Still, you know, still bagging bitches, are you? You know, there's all the, you know, they did like to be, and I was it's really inappropriate. But she looked at me, Princess Anne, and he goes, now you, I have a question for you. He goes, did you really volunteer to do this show? I said, why wouldn't I? Because, I mean, it's all stuff and nonsense. I would have thought horses and all this, I would have thought it's beneath you. And she looked really, like, upset. And it was a real moment, because I looked her in the eye. I said, Your Highness, it's, it's been an honour of a lifetime. She went, I'm glad to hear it. You're exceptional. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go and tell the Queen. So when we did the show in front of the Queen, the Queen apparently loved it. And then the organisers said, come here, we want to tell you something. They said, do you know, the Queen wasn't supposed to come. I said, why? He goes, she felt embarrassed that she'd blown off state opening of Parliament. Didn't think it was right to come to a horse show. But Princess Anne had gone to her house after she saw you and said, oh, Mummy... You've got to come. They've got lots of acts you haven't seen. And do you know that Iranian comedian you like? He's humiliating himself in a herald's costume. (laughs) And he's begging not to be sent to Rwanda. (laughs) And she went, yeah, all right. And that's why she came. (laughs) It's because of me. I humiliated myself. (laughs) 
Um, let me ask you an emergency question because I haven't done one for a couple of days. Let's see what. Go on, emergency, I like emergency, emergency questions. questions. Um, uh, because of course that little story didn't really lead on to anything. It's just like no, a, it's good. I, I just I know people like them. Have you ever seen a ghost? Have I ever asked you if you've ever seen a ghost? A ghost? Yeah. No. Why? Why do you, is that an emergency question? It's an emergency question. If you've ever seen a ghost, I'm have glad I've, you haven't. It's just a way of finding out if someone's mentally ill or not. No. <laughs> if you um, if you were. You are mentally ill. Uh, if, if, you, um, if, if you were like a caterpillar, but you were you, and you could dissolve, you go into a chrysalis and you dissolve, but you can dissolve. come out, you yeah, know, but come out of something else. You come out as anything else you want to come out of the chrysalis. What would you come out of the chrysalis as if you could choose anything to take? Alexi Sale. Alexi Sale. So close in the end so far. Um, you live in Ipswich now, is that right? Uh, yes, I live in Ipswich, unbelievable. I was, I was nice. sick on my own diarrhoea in Ipswich. That's were all, you? Yeah. You were sick on your own well, diarrhoea? I had diarrhoea and then I had to vomit and, and it was, I just had four hours of quite intense food poisoning. But do you understand? You said I was sick on my own diarrhoea. Yeah. That, didn't, I don't know if you got the... I thought he was eating his own <laughs> diarrhoea. I said, why wouldn't you be sick? Usually it's delicious. Um, <laughs> I'd have diarrhoea and then I didn't have time to flush the toilet and then I was sick on the diarrhoea. <laughs> Happened on the hour, every hour for four hours, and then, and then my wife had to drive me home. We were going to go and see Sutton Who. It was my birthday. I think it was Sutton my Hoo, 40th, yeah. 41st or 42nd birthday. And we had to drive home. So that's my, that's my feeling of Ipswich. It's a great place, it? Ipswich. And, you know, if you're a football fan, Ipswich Town was always everyone's second football team in the 1970s and 80s because they were uh, Terry Butcher, they all these players. So I had just said a couple of things on Twitter that I like. The film, the, 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 not the film. I like Ipswich Town, and so they said, "Come down." And I went to the first few games, and and in the first three games, the score was two two. First two 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 two. So for the fourth game, I showed up in a two two. <laughs> Just, but the Ipswich fans didn't quite get the satire of what I was trying to do. And then I said, "But the Wimbledon FC goalkeeper did proposition me, and I learned a very big, big important lesson that day. That Ipswich fans can be very rough, but goalkeepers." can be very tender and complimentary. <laughs> and I think I said this somewhere, and then Ipswich Town said, will you come and speak to the crowd at half-time? So Ipswich, is, they're in the League One, which is three divisions down from the Premier League, and they asked me to speak on a Tuesday night when they're playing Cheltenham Town. And there's still 21,000 people there. And I wanted to do a joke, and I ran it by a good friend of ours, Booth B. Grafo. I said, look... I'm thinking of doing my Ipswich joke. And he goes, no, no, don't. For God's sake, they're going to hate that. You're going to, good luck with it. And I thought, I'll do it. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I came on and he goes, we've got Ami Jalili here. And there was a cheer. I couldn't believe 21,000. There's nothing to do there. They don't go for a pie. They just sit in their seats. And he goes, why have you come to Ipswich? And I said, well, uh, I came here to have a hip replacement and it went so well, I thought I'd stay. So I'm the only person who came to Ipswich for a hip switch. <laughs> Listen, there's some groans there's in there. Some well. groans there's, in there. Uh, there's some groans in there. But 21,000 people pissed themselves laughing. <laughs> and it was great because uh, it, was, it was three days after the Super Bowl. And I, and I think the first thing I said, it's great that in America, the Super Bowl, they got Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, and Mary J. Blige. And you guys have got the bloke who had his knackers squeezed by Oliver Reed in Gladiator. <laughs> so I think they've taken me uh, into their heart and I've been going to matches. I mean, I'm a Chelsea fan, but as I go there, on the odd days I go there, and it really is a lovely place, Ipswich. I can't recommend it highly enough. I just feel, as a comedian, you know, it's a bit out there. If you're touring, 
Do you not? You can't get home very often. You can. It's in the middle of the country, so actually, it's not bad. Oh, it's, it's, not bad. So it's, it's it's almost like instead of coming straight down, you go down and then off to the left yeah. when you come down from the north. So it's, okay. there's no different. All right, then I'll accept it. I will allow, I'm going to allow. <laughs> Thank you. Um, talking of football, uh, you'll be very pleased to talk about this. I'm sure you uh, you famously scored a penalty against, against Robo Keeper. Yeah. Did, give me a, is that a cheer? Anyone? Give me one after three. Give me a cheer and a clap if you actually saw that. Okay, not enough. We need to talk about this okay. shit. If you don't know, yeah, you talk about the Robo Keeper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you don't know, this is the um, greatest moment in my life. I've been playing <laughs> football since I was six years old, playing for teams since I was 10. I was at the university in Northern Ireland. We played Irish B division. Always thought I could play professionally, but I put on so much weight, I, I couldn't do it. So finally, during the, just before the World Cup of 2014, the one show brought me on to talk about my my England football song that I'd made that it didn't, didn't do well because England was so crap at that World Cup. And they said, for a bit, I remember Richard Maidley was on, Richard Maidley and Alex Jones, they goes, what we're going to do is just a bit of fun. We've got a robotic goalkeeper uh, who will just, who, who no one's been able to score again. Lionel Messi, they showed us, had tried to score against it 16 times and couldn't do it. So they said, just have a go. And I said, well, I said what are you talking about? Because we, you're not going to score, we're just we're going to show this robotic keeper. So... Just before we went on air, I said, is there any chance? The bloke said, we've left two inches. He goes, goes, you're not going to score because the goalkeeper, it's robotic. It sees where your eyes and where you're shooting. So it actually moves before you've shot the ball. There's no way. But we've left one inch to one side and one inch there. If you get it in the top corner, you will score. But you have to be absolutely I said, well, fuck it, I'll just go for it. So I shut my eyes, booted it, and it went in. And I went bananas. <laughs> I did. I went, I, got, I went home. I told my wife, I said, I've, I've done something that Lionel Messi couldn't do. Because, excuse me, well, I don't know what that was, but you were running around a little children's playground scoring against some wooden goalkeeper. This is really inappropriate, you know. And people don't realise it is actually the greatest thing I think anyone ever has done. <laughs> It really is. It's incredible. If you, if you YouTube it, it, it should have got millions of hits, but because it was on a Vimeo clip, and I think John Bishop and uh, Gary Lineker tweeted it straight away, and the Vimeo link crashed. So I put it out on a, on a YouTube, and I, I said, please, guys, could you retweet it again? <laughs> yeah, needily, and they didn't. So it's only had like 70,000 hits or something, but it's, right. uh, it is the greatest moment of my life. But well, thank, thank you for bringing it up. That's all right. And you can give me a round of applause for doing what Lionel Messi <laughs> could not do. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, is there any more of uh, winning combination coming? I couldn't. I haven't. Didn't yes. see, I didn't see winning combination. Winning combination was, and, I, and uh, I've tried to understand it from it being written down. I, I didn't even understand confusing. what the show was. It was a very confusing show. <laughs> All I knew is if they won any money, I could do a winning combination joke. I said, "You are a winning combination, a bit like Hitler, a bunker, and a cyanide pill. That's a winning combination." And of course, no one liked it except for in care homes. We're number one in care homes. And, and being people in care homes were like pissing themselves. I mean, I mean, anyway, but they, but they like that. They like that joke. <laughs> Come on. The, uh, but it was a show that ran for two se- series. And I did it because, you know, a stand up comedian, you know, me as a style of stand up, I've always wanted to be, you know, I'm not your normal kind of chat to a crowd. I always feel with comedians who chat to a crowd, it means they haven't got an act. If you, if you see all the big comics like Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, they haven't, Louis C.K., they've got an act. They don't, 
mess around with crowd work. You, yeah. Crowd work's there if you're, in, if you're doing something in a club and something, someone smashes a glass, you, you can talk to the crowd. But I thought I'd do this because I was never, I'd never been an MC, so I thought you get to chat to the crowd. So my first time talking to someone in the crowd is what actually made ITV book the show. Because someone got through, and this is what happened. I said, um, hi there, congratulations, you're through. What's your name? She goes, my name's Janet. I said, what do you do, Janet? She goes, it's quite funny. I actually work for IKEA. I said, what's that? She goes, well, that's the funny thing. In England, we pronounce it IKEA, but in Sweden, they pronounce it IKEA. Did you know that? I said, no, how absolutely delightful. Do you know how it's really pronounced? She went, how? I said, nobody cares! (laughs) And... In the gallery, they jumped back. They said, give him a series now. We didn't even finish the pilot. It was good. Just give him the series. That's the first time I started chatting to someone. Because I thought, nobody cares. Nobody cares about that kind of chit-chat. But now, they actually would build in Omid talking. And everyone was so nervous. I'm going to scream at someone. So that's the thing. I've never, I'm not a game show host. But I have to tell you, having spoken to Tim Vine, a lot of, a lot of our contemporaries do game shows. But actually, when you... Because actually, our generation of people turn our noses up a bit because we used to, we used to think Bob Monkhouse, we thought you, you have to be a certain type of comedian, but actually, it's very difficult because you've got to talk to people, you've got to ask questions in the moment and not mess up, which is very, very difficult. You've got to keep lots of different comedy programs running in the back of your brain, mm. and it's actually one of the most difficult and one of the most enjoyable things. So I'm very sad to say that there's going to be no more, but we did two series, and I've actually moved from 3 p.m., uh, to 3 a.m. So you can see the show at 3 a.m. <laughs> on ITV4. I look at. I think those things could be a curse. You know, if they're successful, I think it's nice for a bit, and then suddenly, yes. 20 years later, you're still. No, yeah. So I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I'm not doing two anymore, two yeah. series. Yeah, I feel. Yeah. That's Thank absolutely you. fine. Uh, so, look, we're going to have to wrap it up. There's a lot more to talk to you about. We'll that flew by, guys, didn't it? it? it did flew by. A whole hour flew by. Flew by our pants. So, the tar- your tour is called The Good Time. The Good Time tour, yes. And it's uh, UK. Still, I'm going to Australia in September, but there's mm-hmm. still, still dates until the last date is at the Shepherds Bush Empire on the 2nd of December. And is there, is there more acting work in the, in the pipeline? Yes, I'm doing um, a great film where I have to lose weight for for the first time. I put on weight for The Mummy and I never shifted the weight. <laughs> Uh, so exactly 23 years later, I have to, I'm playing a uh, I'm playing a, a Syrian refugee, and there was a part of me that was thinking, mm, should I really be playing a Syrian because I'm an Iranian? Because I owe David Badil, our friend, has been talking a lot about Jew face, and and I said, well, if that's the case, every Jew I know should only play Jewish characters, and you know, and Amber Heard should only play characters who shit the bed, you know, that kind of thing. So. So I think that I, I'm very happy to say I'm playing a Syrian refugee in a really great film, a Syrian refugee who's in Britain who becomes a cultural hero, okay. where cultural people, you know, see him as a... Because he tries to save a bell. That's all I can tell you about, okay. but it's really good. I'm sure it would be fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up. The amazing Amit Jalili! Thank you very much. Um, they're cheering. Thank you very much. They love you. Thank you very much. I love you guys. Thank, thank you, you very, very much. Thank you very much to the Assembly Rooms for having us. We're back at the Leicester Square Theatre, September, October, November. And well done, Richard Herring, it's his last one. Thank you very much, everyone. Yay! I'm going on holiday! (laughs) You have been...
listening to Rahalastapa from the Edinburgh Fringe with me, Richard Herring, and my fantastic guest, who I know you know who it was. I'm not going to tell you again. You're not stupid. Thank you to Scamp Regard for playing this music. I'm indebted to my technician and friend, Reese Thomas. I'm also indebted to Chris Evans, not that one, and to all the fantastic crew at the ballroom, at the assembly rooms, and everyone at the assembly rooms in Edinburgh. What a fantastic lot of people you are. Thanks for all your help. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFastTheStripe.com production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening. RichardHerring.com slash gigs. GoFastTheStripe.com for all my books, downloads, all that sort of shizzle. Oh, yeah, I know all the cool words. And um, would love to see you on the, on the Can I Have My Ball Back tour if you can make it. Bye.